turn in your copy of Scripture to the book of Acts. Uh, we are picking up uh, a new series called Fulfill the Calling, uh, where we're looking at the first century church in the book of Acts. We're starting this Sunday and uh, Sunday and Wednesday and Sunday and Wednesday and Sunday and Wednesday. Uh, we're going to travel with the first century church uh, and discover how that they fulfilled their calling and how that we, First Norfolk in the 21st century, can fulfill our calling. Uh, so we're going to be looking today at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And Wednesday night, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Then next Sunday, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 41. And then next Wednesday, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. You see how it's going to roll? Y'all with me on it? Okay. All right. If you're with me on it, uh, do half mask. I'm just giving you a little relief, okay? I, uh, all right. Well, oh, <clears throat> hopefully you're already there. Does anybody know what this is? It's a broom. It is a broom. Do you know the why of a broom? What's the why of a broom? To sweep, right. To, to clean the floor, right. To, uh, to scoop things up. A little handheld thing, business like this. Scoop things up. The why of the broom is to sweep things up. Have you ever used a broom that is not connected to its why? For instance, have you ever used a broom to chase a cat out of the kitchen? Have you ever used a broom uh, to kill a cockroach in the corner? Have you ever used a broom to chase your husband out of the house? Now, all of those are ways that you could use the broom, but they're not the why of the broom. The broom was made, created with one particular why, one specific calling to sweep. In the same way, what we discover is that the church has one, one specific why. Not 20, not 37, not 52. There is one specific why for the church. Not just First Norfolk, but every church. There is one, one specific why. And we may utilize the church in a lot of different ways, not connected directly to our why, to our calling, uh, but when we as the church uh, begin to major on those things for which the church is not purposed or called to major on, when we leave the very priority, the very purpose for which we exist, then we fail to function as the church. Now, this is important to us, not only because you are part of First Norfolk, but because we are the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, God holds us accountable for fulfilling our calling, that one purpose for which we exist. Now, in our church, we have described that purpose in a very specific way. 
And it's the same purpose that you'll find in any church where Jesus Christ is the Lord. Uh, Our statement is, uh, talking about our calling, our statement is, first, Norfolk exists to glorify God by winning and leading all the people within our reach to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's not new to me. It's not a pandemic purpose. It is a purpose that is derived from God's Word. Literally, it's derived from the very life of Jesus Christ. You see, we are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And because we're the body of Christ, His calling is our calling. Well, what was the calling of Jesus? We hear that calling expressed in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, Jesus is about to be killed on a cross, and He prays to the Father in heaven, and He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that Your Son also might glorify You, as You have given Him authority over all flesh, that He might give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work you've given me to do. What was that work? What was the calling? Uh, To glorify God by giving eternal life uh, to, uh, to those who came to him. In the same way as the body of Christ, his calling, the calling of Jesus, becomes our calling. And we can express it this way. God calls our church to tell others who Jesus is, who He is, what He has done, what He means to us, and what He means to the world. That is our calling. That's the calling of this church. And it's the calling of this church whether we like it or not. There is one purpose for this church. There is one calling for this church, and that is to tell others who Jesus is. That's the one calling. I mean, the one, the singular one. Now, I want you to look to the person on your left and say, we're family. I want you to look to the person on your right and say, we're family. I want you to look to the person in front of you and say, hey, we're family. I want you to turn around, look at the person behind you and say, hey, we are family. If you're online, I want you to turn to everyone around you and say, we're family. Look, here's what happens. When God unites us together as the church, He unites us together as family. Family. The Scripture talks about us being part of the family of God. The local expression of that family is First Norfolk. And that means that all of us exist with this same calling. And united together as one family, one body, one bride, we live to fulfill this calling, to tell others who Jesus is. And Jesus described it in this way uh, in uh, Acts chapter 1. You just look at verse 8. He says, "Uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be, what's the word there? What's the word? You'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. What's he talking about there? To be a witness means that I tell somebody else what Jesus has done for me, what he's done for humanity through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. You and I, this church exists in the seven cities of Hampton Roads to be a witness to Jesus. 
that there is no other name under heaven by which anyone may be saved, that there is only one way to experience fulfillment in life, there is only one way to experience satisfaction for your soul, there is only one way to be forgiven your sin, there is only one way to enter into fellowship with God, and that one way is who? Jesus. There's no other way. None. And we, the church, called First Norfolk, we have this one calling to tell others who Jesus is. To tell others who Jesus is because um, as people who've been rescued by God's grace through faith in Jesus, we know what it means to be rescued. We're a witness of things that have happened to us. Now, when we gather together as the body of Christ. And I know this is a personal thing. You've got to be a personal witness. But friends, i got to tell you, what God does is he calls this church, not just individually, but calls us, this church, calls us to give everything that we are, everything that we have, and everything that we do to this one purpose, to tell others who Jesus is. I, I mean everything. Look, we're not here to make money as a church. We're not here to, uh, uh, to hoard real estate. We're not here to, um, uh, to uh, cater to individual needs. We're not here to do that. Do you know what we're here to do? Singular purpose, singular calling. We are here to tell others who Jesus is. That's the one purpose. That's the one calling. And we get confused sometimes because, especially in a church like ours, a church our size and a church of, of our longevity and years, we, we get confused. We get distracted. We think that we have a bunch of different purposes. Not porpoises, purposes. We think that we have a calling to fulfill a lot of different things. But really, Scripture is very clear. We exist to glorify God by telling others who Jesus is. And the question isn't... Uh, uh, are we doing a lot of other things well? The question is, are we doing this one thing well? Because everything else is irrelevant if we're not doing this one thing well. This is the one thing. Turn to the person in, uh, on your right say, we're family. Go ahead, do it. I know you don't want to. Turn to the person to your left and say, we're family. Turn, turn to the person behind you say, we're family. Turn to the person in front of you say, we're family. You know what that means? The Bible calls us family because it means that we're all in this together. As followers of Jesus Christ, we've been brought into this singular family with this singular calling. And it's, it's a calling that we all share. So if I'm not fulfilling the calling of telling others who Jesus is, it causes the whole body to limp. And that's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when, he, when he's talking about different uh, parts of the body of Christ. Uh, gifted in different ways, but different parts. Some are thumbs and some are eyeballs and some are tongues and teeth and hands and feet and all that kind of stuff. And he, he's using that imagery to say all of us have a role to fulfill, but that one role that all of us have to fulfill must always point to Jesus telling others who he is and what he's done. This is what it means to be a witness. And every person here who is a follower of Jesus Christ and part of this family of faith is called to join together in witness to Jesus. 
There are no exemptions to that rule. In fact, as you look at Scripture, this is the priority of the first century church. I mean, this is it. And we're going to see in a couple of weeks how that, that uh, there are people who say, stop talking about Jesus. And if you don't stop talking about Jesus, we're going to put you in jail or we're going to kill you. And Peter and John reply and say, well, I don't know what you want us to do. We're going to obey God rather than you. We can't help but proclaim the name of the only one who can rescue a hurting lost soul. We can't help but proclaim the name, the only name, that can rescue us and you and others. We live in a culture today that if things continue the way we are afraid that they're going to continue, there are going to be people who say, stop speaking about Jesus. And if you talk about Jesus, just talk about him in bland terms. He was a good teacher. He was moral. He, 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 he was a grand guy. But the reality is, if Jesus is who he says he is, then he's going to confront our culture in a very strong and significant way. There aren't a lot of different ways to get to God. There's only one way. His name is Jesus. There aren't multiple truths by which we can hang our hat and live our lives. There's only one. His name is Jesus. There's only one way to live in fellowship and in family with God. There's only one bridge that gets us to heaven. His name is Jesus. And what he says goes. And that includes you and that includes me. So we better pull ourselves up and get ready. Because this church has one message, one calling, and that is tell other people about Jesus. Even those who don't want to hear. We tell people about Jesus, and, and, and that's, that's what the first century church did. And, and even though they faced opposition like we have never known, do you realize, I know, I know, man, I tell you, you read some of the, some of the blogs and some of the news articles, oh, everything's terrible and, the, you know, America's going to hell in a handbasket. It may be. But they act, like, they act like this is the worst the church has ever seen. Have you heard about China? I'm serious. I mean, I'm not trying to diminish the the, the challenges that we may face, but I'm just telling you, it's not the worst that the world's ever seen. The first century church faced greater obstacles than we have ever known. And yet, by Acts chapter 17, they have turned the world upside down. They faced the obstacles. They pressed on and they proclaimed one name, one message. They told people who Jesus is and how he could change their life, and it changed the world. And that is what we must be about. Singular purpose. Singular calling. As we look at this singular calling, we we understand that the first church had difficulty. And, And we will have difficulty. How many of you have tried to talk to a neighbor or a friend or a family member about Jesus and it ended badly? Go ahead, raise your hand at home. Raise your hand. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it can end badly, can it? I mean, uh, those people don't want to talk to you anymore. They, they say, oh, you are a big, bigot. I've been called all kinds of names. And, and I know that you have as well if you've tried to fulfill this one calling. And that's just the way it is. But how many of y'all have been... Uh, 
thrown in jail because you tried to witness for Jesus. Okay. How many of you have been thrown into a coliseum to be eaten by lions? Okay. How many of you, here's one, how many of you have been uh, taken in chains into a room where they had a, a, a chair and they, they, that chair was made of metal and they, they heated that chair up till it was white hot and then they said, sit in that chair, all because you said Jesus. A- anybody? That's what the first century church dealt with. That's what they dealt with and they still continued to proclaim Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. So let's learn from them. This first chapter, now the first 11 verses help us understand how it was that they, this first family, determined and, and, and uh, had the courage and the confidence and the boldness to fulfill their calling even in the face of such opposition. So let's learn from them this morning. How can we do it? How can we fulfill our calling? Now, you get it. The why of the church is to tell others who Jesus is. That's the why of this church. So that's all of us together. Everybody say, we're family. That's all of us together. That that means everyone takes ownership for this, not just a few of us, all of us. And because we're family, we all take ownership, this mandate, this calling that God has placed on the church. I'm going to be a witness for Jesus. How can I find the courage, the wisdom, the insight, the encouragement to be a witness in difficult days? The first thing we've got to do is what the first century church did is we've got to spend time with Jesus. And you've got to spend time with Jesus. Verses 1 through 3, I won't read them, but verses 1 through 3, it says that Jesus presented himself alive uh, to the disciples. Now, and not just those followers that were the 11 now. It was, it was uh, the 11, and it was 300, it was 500 people. He, he presented himself to the church as the risen Savior, Jesus. Now, imagine that. And Jesus walking through that door right there. I mean, freak out. That's what they were dealing with. They, they saw Jesus, again, not a, a ghost, not a, a, a phantasm, not, not some uh, m- a mystical, imaginative thought in their brain. They saw Jesus. He had been killed on a Friday and raised to life on a Sunday, and now he was walking with them, talking with them, and he was showing them the nail piercings in his wrists and in his feet, the, 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 the wound in his side. He was, he was breaking bread with them, cooking them dinner on a lake shore. He was teaching them all the things about the kingdom of God. He was equipping them for the journey ahead. He was pressing them forward to accomplish their one calling, which is to tell others who Jesus is. And he spent 40 days with them. And those 40 days with Jesus changed his disciples in such a way that they would boldly proclaim who Jesus is and the world would be changed. You and I, we have the privilege, we have the advantage, Jesus called it in John 14, we have the advantage of walking intimately with him 
every single day through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God gives us an intimacy with Jesus every single day. And the more we spend time with Jesus as the church, the more we are filled with humble hearts. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more humble you're going to become. Not the more proud you're going to become, the more humble you're going to become. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you're reminded of the cross of Christ. Imagine the disciples walking with Jesus, and as, as his sleeves on his tunic uh, came up, they could see the piercings in his wrists, a reminder that he died on a cross for them. That even though they deserved judgment for their sin, he gave them mercy through his own sacrifice. That they owed everything to Jesus. And when we, the church, spend time with Jesus, he reminds us of his death on the cross for our sin. Look, we're not part of the family of God because of our charisma or because of our intellect or because we're religious or because we're Baptist or even Southern Baptist. We're part of the family of God because Jesus died on the cross for us and we were sinners deserving nothing but judgment. But God in his mercy gave us forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And that should make us humble. Some of the proudest people People filled with pride and arrogance. Uh, some, some of the proudest, most arrogant people I meet are those in the church. And, and it should never be that way. People thinking that they've got it all together. I, I, no, you don't. People thinking you've got the answers. Oh, no, you don't. The answers don't belong to you. People thinking somehow that they're doing God a favor by being part of the church. No, you're not. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more humble we should become. Oh God, I am a sinner, and it's only by your grace I've been rescued. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, I owe you my life. I owe you my all. What can I do for you? When I survey the wondrous cross upon which the uh, uh, prince of glory died my richest gain I count but loss there, there's nothing in me that that deserves being part of God's family but God in his grace has given that to me the more time we spend with Jesus the more humble we should become the more time we spend with Jesus the more courageous we should become that courage is not built on us that courage is built on Jesus when the disciples walked with Jesus they were walking with the one who had been killed and even death couldn't hold him. And they walked with him, and here he is. This is Jesus. He's alive. And if God can do this for Jesus, when I belong to Jesus, he can do this for us. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We don't cower in the shadows. We don't shrink on the sidelines. We are the people who are marked by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We don't have to back up. We don't have to shut up. We have God on our side. And even death itself can't stop what God has purposed as we fulfill our calling. We've got courage, and that courage comes alive when we spend time with Jesus. Not only do we spend time with Jesus to, to, to uh, prepare to fulfill the calling, but also we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, you'll receive power, the equipping and the competency to do a task. You'll receive power, 
Not when you get smart enough, not when you know the math equations, not when you can count constellations in the sky, not when you can uh, uh, recite the, uh, what's that uh, uh, table uh, in science thing? No, not when you can recite the periodic table. Oh, yeah. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be witnesses for me. Do you know where our competence comes from? Our, our ability, the, the, uh, the, not just the courage, but the, but, but the power to fulfill our calling in life as a church? It's not through our buildings. It's not through our budgets. It's not through how much money we have. It's not, it's not through our resources. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what gets confused in the American church and in our church, even in my mind at times. Because we have so much, we forget that we, we are bankrupt unless we're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit of God that leads this church forward. It's, it's not all this stuff that we've got. It's the Holy Spirit of God, and as He leads us, we press forward following after Him. We open His Word, and He directs our steps. It's the Holy Spirit of God that gifts different members of this body in different ways so that together we might be a witness to Jesus. One of the things about the gifting of the Spirit, none of the gifts of the Spirit are for our own edification. I want you to hear that. Oh, Eric, I'm gifted as a speaker. You ought to use me. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work like that. You see, it's the Spirit of God who gifts and the Spirit of God who equips and the Spirit of God who opens opportunities for us to exercise those gifts in the body of Christ so that Jesus is proclaimed. The question is, are, are we the church relying upon the Holy Spirit? It scares me to think about that. You know, we're the temple of the Spirit of God. That, that, that's what this family is. Everybody say we're family. As the family, we are the temple of the, temple of the Holy Spirit. And you know what that means? It means that we must remain pure. I don't know about you, but I failed that particular category in different ways in different times. I'm pretty confident you have as well. But what that means is because we are family, we cannot let sin reign in my mortal body or in your mortal body. If we're going to rely upon the Holy Spirit to accomplish our calling as a church, then each and every one of us need to be committed as followers of Jesus to turn from our sin and again walk in a path of obedience and submission to the Spirit of God. How are you doing on that? As we rely upon the Holy Spirit, He directs our steps. He, 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 uh, 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 he builds bridges to other people with whom we can give testimony and witness. Sometimes those bridges are bridges built by persecution and suffering. We don't talk a lot about that. But do you realize that most of the evangelistic effectiveness of the first century church happened in the seasons of suffering and persecution. 
It's just a good lesson for us to remember. We need to spend time with Jesus. We need to rely upon the Spirit. By the way, relying upon the Spirit means that we open His Word, we hear from Him, we do what He says. And when we don't do what He says, we repent and we get back in line. That's what it means to rely upon the Holy Spirit. It's not some some, uh, otherworldly, ecstatic kind of moment, although it can be. That's not what it means to walk in the power of the Spirit of God. To walk in the power of the Spirit of God means that I open God's Word, I hear the Spirit speak, I obey the Spirit, and if I don't obey the Spirit, I repent my sin, I get back in line. How are you doing on that? We're family. We've all got to commit to that. We spend time with Jesus. We rely upon the Holy Spirit. Now, the last component is what gives us encouragement, and we live in light of Christ's return. Jesus is coming back. We better get ready. Uh, my granddaughter, Nora, who turns one in a couple of weeks, uh, my granddaughter, Nora, uh, spent a few days with us at our house over these last few days. And getting ready for Nora, uh, my wife uh, prepared the house. She painted uh, the room in which Nora was staying. She bought new uh, curtains to go on the wall. She uh, she, she mopped, she vacuumed, she cleaned. Uh, uh, she and Maggie prepared a gate, a pen, a, a boundary uh, where uh, Nora could be placed and crawl with great freedom and not get out to the dog food. Uh, she, she prepared for Nora's arrival. Whenever we have an honored guest come, we, we prepare. We clean the house and we get things ready. Friends, Jesus is coming. And we, the church, we better prepare. All of us commit ourselves. That's verse 11 where the angels say to, to uh, the disciples, said, men of Galilee, stop staring at the sky. Uh, this same Jesus, the way he left is the way he's coming back. We better get ready. Jesus is coming, and how will he find first Norfolk? Will we have been committed to our one calling? I was going home the other day, and I stopped at a stoplight, or a a stop sign, and a car in front of me uh, was a minivan, and on the windshield, or the back window of the minivan, it said, quote, cool minivan, exclamation point, end quote, and then a dash to show who said cool minivan, it says nobody. Nobody says cool minivan. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter if it's a minivan or a Maserati. The outside, the exterior, the, the racing stripes and the spoilers, the kind of wheels or tires that are on that car, It doesn't matter the shape or the size of it. That's not what gives that car value. You know what gives the car value? It's the engine. That's that's what makes the car go. It's the engine. When it comes to the church, we may be a minivan church, and that's okay as long as the engine is revved up and ready to go. We might be a Maserati church. We're not. We're not. 
But it's okay to be a Maserati church as long as the engine is revved up and ready to go. Do you know what gives the engine the fuel it needs to press forward? Our one calling. It's one calling that we have. And the question that you and I need to answer is, how are we doing? Everybody say, we're family. As you do well, we do well. As I do poorly, we do poorly. How are we doing? God's given us one purpose as a church, and that is to let others know who Jesus is. Let's all make a commitment to do that well this week. Let the engine rev. Let's live as if Jesus were coming back today. As we get out of our cars after, uh, after the service today and we go to uh, lunch and we go into the parking lot and we open the door and we see somebody there, let's follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Let's rely upon the Holy Spirit. And if He says go and tell them about Jesus, let's walk across the parking lot and let's share the story of Jesus, what He means to us and what He means to them. This week, as you go into your uh, offices and, and, and you sit down at your desk or your cubicle and, and, and you see your coworker coming in and the Spirit of God speaks, says, go talk to them about Jesus. Let's be obedient. Let's be obedient as the church and let's go to them and share. Tell them who Jesus is and what He means to us and what He can mean to them. As you go home and you pull into your uh, driveway and you see your neighbor mowing the yard and the Spirit of God speaks and says, I want you to go and talk to your neighbor and tell them who Jesus is. Let's put the car in park and let's go over to our neighbor and let's tell them who Jesus is. This is our one calling. Not a thousand other things. This is the one calling that God has given this church. Let's fulfill our calling this week. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Oh, God, in these moments as we consider your word and what it means to us as a church, the family of faith that you've created, I pray, oh, God, that you would speak to us in a way that compels us to be obedient to you today not waiting for another moment. And, and I pray that you would remove every other distraction, every other thing that we say, oh, this is so important to the church. And let us put the first principles in place. Let's live for this one purpose, this one calling. And that is to tell others who Jesus is. Oh God, I pray that you would be with your family of faith called First Norfolk as you scatter us throughout the seven cities of Hampton Roads, as even we send a team to Rwanda and to Malawi this week, I pray that you would go with us and may the gospel of your rescuing love found in your beloved Son be ever on our lips. May people come to know you as Savior and King. And may you add to this family of faith because we have fulfilled our calling this week. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.